Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Saturday, October 14th, 2023. This is Shannon. We should have been recording this yesterday on Friday the 13th. That would have been the best. (laughs) And I am here with Natalia, Stacy, and Brooke. And we are doing our yearly Creepy Books episode. Yay! So, Stacy is going to start us off, of course, after we do the housekeeping information. Then will be me, Brooke, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Book Bistro Podcast. There we have our usual Facebook page where we keep track of our Wednesday reads and also post information about the Friday episodes. We also have a Facebook listener group that you're welcome to join. And if you prefer a different type of listener group, you can contact us and ask about our WhatsApp group. Both groups are pretty small, not super high traffic, and we would love to have you. If you want to get in touch with us off of social media, you can do so by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for our main hosting page where you can find information on the podcatchers that make Book Bistro available to you, you can find that information in our show notes. The first book I'm going to talk about on this dark and gray and rainy afternoon is pretty perfect for this episode. And I wouldn't have even discovered it except for It was an Audible Daily Deal a few days ago, and I looked at the description. I'm like, oh, that sounds like it might be good. I'll get that. I don't know this author, so I'll pay $3 for it. And then I was completely riveted. This is Delicious Monsters by Lacelle Sambri. And this is a young adult sort of horror thriller type novel. And it's also one of my favorite things. It's a dual timeline. So we have two different young women who are 10 years apart in this novel. So the first storyline focuses on Daisy, who's 17. She's a young Black woman living in Toronto with her mother. She basically is overlooked a lot and not understood because Daisy has the ability to see the dead. And this is not an ability that she appreciates. In fact, she hates it. And it's very challenging for her because there's a lot of just like typical translucent ghosts, but then there are ghosts that are able to be fully corporeal. So she never knows. She just can't trust that the person she's speaking to is actually a living, breathing person versus a dangerous corporeal ghost. And ghosts like to kind of suck all of the, um, they really are drawn to stress and sadness and they just eat that shit up like it's dessert. And so she's living this sort of quiet life with her mother um, who struggles, who's working these jobs. She keeps switching jobs every couple of years. She's like a junior level, I want to say computer programmer, computer or something. And 
living in sort of like lower rent apartments. And she just really, really wants to be finished with high school, to be finished with everything. So she can kind of get away from constantly feeling the need to care for her mother, to be organized, to make sure things are being done correctly for her. Like bills are being paid and there's groceries to eat for in the house. And Daisy suffers a pretty significant um, blow when she finds out that her boyfriend is seeing another woman and she's just really devastated and not sure how to recover from this great loss in her life. So when her mother tells her that they have inherit inherited a mansion up North. Um, and I don't know much about geography of Canada. So all I know is it was up North and that, you know, it's up to Daisy whether or not they go and live there. Her mother's always wanted to live there. She wants to turn it into some sort of like bed and breakfast because um, it's this gorgeous mansion. And it's her brother-in-law and a strange sister's former home. And now that her brother-in-law has passed away, um, he's left the mansion to her mother and Daisy. Well, Daisy, feeling very distraught at everything that's happened, decides that she needs to leave Toronto. So she helps her mother to make the decision that they are going to move away and start over and start this glamorous life where her mother runs this bed and breakfast and Daisy goes where nobody knows her, the strange girl who has violent outbursts on occasion. And when they get to this mansion, it's gorgeous and fabulous. But for some reason, her mother is living in the secondary guest house on the property. And she tells Daisy, you may not step foot inside this mansion. Never. Never without me, don't step a foot over the threshold. And at first, Daisy thinks that she can, you know, do that. But the allure of the mansion and the secrets within it are just too tempting for Daisy to ignore. And what Daisy discovers in this mansion is the backbone of the story. So I am not going to spoil it for you, except for that crowds and crowds of the dead seem to be drawn to this mansion. And she wants to know why. And as things sort of um, kind of progress, um, the mansion gets more and more demanding and hungry and more and more, um, you know, more and more things begin happening around Daisy and her mother that make Daisy want even more than ever before to know all of the secrets that her mother has been keeping from her for all of Daisy's life. Now, 10 years later, we have Brittany. She's 19. She's in college and she's um, working on this amazing um, documentary series uh, about different haunted places. And this is the third season that she and her best friend, Jaden, have been working on this series. And they have like received some acclaim for it. They're now um, interning at this great media company. And so she has more support and more financial backing than ever before. And she is a confident, fat, black woman who, even though she has a lot going for her, is still trying to shake away from the shadow of her abusive author mother, who wrote a book about the way she treated Brittany during childhood, including how she was basically saved by going to the, quote, Miracle Mansion. And this Miracle Mansion just happens to be the same place where something horrible happened to Daisy 10 years ago that was very sensationalized. And so we have Brittany telling her story in the present about how she's going to go and do this 
onto a documentary about the mansion and what happened to Daisy. And we have Daisy's story unfolding simultaneously. And I know that I've talked a lot and I have given you this long-winded description without really telling you anything, but I don't want to spoil all what makes this book so horrifying and great and fabulous. Um, you know, there are trigger warnings. Um, there's um, dis discussions of childhood abuse, sexual abuse, um, the killing of an animal. It's a very intense, dark book. Um, I wasn't sure I liked Daisy the first half. In fact, I was like, oh my God, there's so much angst around this young woman. And I understood why, but it made me very hard. It made it very hard for me to connect with her. But just, you know, if you start the book and have similar feelings, just stick with it because the ending is freaking amazing and just worth everything that kind of leads up to that point. So this is Delicious Monsters by Lacelle Stambury. And I encourage you to go out and read it, even if you, like me, don't always think you want to read something that is um, kind of called young adult fiction. I um, have heard so many good things about her in the past, and um, she has a couple things out right now that are on my TBR pile. All right. So my first book today is actually one that Brooke talked about for one of her most anticipated October releases. I read it like the day that it came out, and I loved it so, so much. So this is Midnight is the Darkest Hour by Ashley Winstead. And I would say, like, if nothing else, read this book for its title because it has, like, such a, such a creepy title. But it also has a really creepy vibe to go with that title. So this is set in a small town in Louisiana called Bottom Springs. And our main character is Ruth. She is the town librarian and the daughter of a very, very, like, fire and brimstone preacher. Um, he has this church called Holy Fire, and he is beloved by the townspeople of Bottom Springs because they feel like he keeps them on the straight and narrow, and he's going to protect them from sin and all of the devil's minions and also from this creepy mythical creature called the low man. Now the low man supposedly steals into your bedroom and takes your soul by killing you if you are a sinner. And he has apparently been killing people for a number of years. Um, you know, people who aren't super caught up in the whole holy fire thing I'm pretty sure that the low man is actually a person, but all of the church people are sure that it's like a, a demon. Now, Ruth has been interested in the low man for some time because Ruth has a secret and she's worried that if people worry too much about what the low man is doing, they might uncover this thing that she's been hiding. And then one day, a skull is found in a swamp not too far from Bottom Springs. And this really freaks Ruth out. So she joins forces with Everett, who is her childhood best, best friend and a man that she has had a crush on for a long time, but that she's never really acknowledged having this crush on. 
And they are determined to figure out who is actually behind all these killings. Now, the thing to know is that both Ruth and Everett are keeping some pretty dark secrets, both from like the townspeople, but also from each other. We, as the reader, kind of get a glimpse into what some of these secrets might be, but it's really hard to know for sure until the end. This is a very dark, very creepy sort of Southern Gothic thriller. Um, It does everything that Ashley Winstead is known for doing. So it gives you so much atmosphere. Um, The suspense is pretty much like up to 11, um, like straight through the book. There are so many twists and turns and just enough of kind of that supernatural, like creepy vibe to really make you question what's going on. And, you know, is it something supernatural? Is there actually a person behind all of this? If you've never read Ashley Winstead, I highly recommend anything she does, whether we're talking about thrillers or her romances. But this one is Midnight is the Darkest Hour. And again, it's by Ashley Winstead. This book is actually um, on my TBR, and I'm going to be reading it sometime this week. Okay, so my first book is called The Nightmare Man, and it's by J.A. Markert. So our setting is Blackwood Mansion, and it's set on top of a hill um, amongst these big, gloomy, um, tall pines. So that kind of sets the atmosphere for us. So our main character's name is Ben Bookman, and he is an author, and he's currently trying to finish his uh, his latest book. And he's like the heir to this mansion. Like, So he decides to go and spend the weekend at the mansion um, in order to finish his book. So he does. And then shortly before it's released, the story starts coming out of the pages. So now we meet Detective Mills um, and his daughter, rookie detective Blue. Um, and she they are they're called out to a murder where there's these this family has been slaughtered. And they're encased in corn husks that have been sewed together into like a cocoon. And they're hung from the rafters of their barn at their farm. And like, this is what happens in the very, like, in the, this is how um, Ben's book opens. So, of course, um, Ben is now the prime suspect because the book is supposed to be released the following day. So, like, as far as everyone knows, like, nobody's actually read it. So, like, who could have kind of put this together other than maybe, like, some of the review, like, the the readers that read ahead of time. So, they're investigating. And then another case that's chillingly similar comes up. And Ben is, like, he's totally stressed out of his mind because, like, he's the prime suspect and like his reputation is at risk. So he knows he needs to like figure out, help um, the detectives figure out like who was behind this and what is going on. Cause he's gotta 
fix his reputation and also prove his innocence. So as he's doing the research into um, the Blackwood history, um, he discovers that there's this story within um, his grandfather's atrium, where is, which is where he wrote his book. And this atrium is full of all these numbered books. So all the books, all the titles are just numbers. And all the books are completely empty. So they're empty books. And supposedly things come, like, as far as he has now learned, he may have, like, unadvertently released something. And that, my friends, is all I can tell you. So this is The Nightmare Man by J.H. Markert. And honestly, it was so, like, so eerie. Like, there's this whole sense of doom and gloom and, like, just the, um, like, the scenes of the murders. Like, these people that are, like, cocooned in these husks and you, yeah. there's, like, flies all over. There's, like, Whoa. blood dripping and, like, you couldn't even imagine, like, the smell and, like, yeah. So, it's just, like, totally creepy, creep, creep. So, the first book I'm going to talk about tonight is the first adult novel that I've ever read by this author. She's known for a lot of her YA books, some urban fantasy. I think she has a royal series. Uh, I've really liked everything I've read, and this one did not disappoint, especially with the creepy factor. Now, this is The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins, and this book is about Jane. Jane, who... Well, she just arrived to Birmingham, Alabama. She works at Thornfield Estates as a dog walker, where the people there are so, so rich, living in their McMansions and driving their SUVs that they don't notice if some of their jewelry goes missing or if somebody lifts the tchotchkes off their tables, where there are bored housewives. And nobody bothers to ask if Jane is actually her name. And then Jane's luck changes when she meets Eddie Rochester, who's a recently widowed, rich, brooding guy whose wife and her best friend died in a boating accident. Not only did they die in a boating accident, but their bodies have never been recovered. And there's an opportunity for Jane because he's rich, he's handsome, and he can offer her the kind of protection that she's never even dreamed of having with his status except as jane and eddie fall for each other jane is increasingly haunted by the mystery of what happened to b and her best friend in this boating accident and also how her story is so similar except that b was such a beauty and jane feels like she's plain jane and how will she ever measure up will she ever figure out this mystery before her past and Eddie's past catch up to her, or rather to them. This book has such delicious suspense, incisive wit, and a fresh feminist sensibility. And, of course, a wife who just will not stay buried. And in this reimagining of one of literature's most twisted love triangles which mrs rochester will get her happy ending and for those who might not have guessed i think this book is based on jane Eyre, 
or at least inspired by. And you must, must read it. Now, the thing about creepy books is, well, we can't really reveal what makes them creepy. But taken from me, that this book is going to have twists that you don't see coming. And you might want to read it with the lights on. So this is The Wife of Stairs by Rachel Hawkins. So like many of us on the podcast, I'm a huge, huge fan of Kelly Armstrong. And when I saw that she wrote a standalone horror novel, and I stumbled by this quite by accident, I follow her on social media and somehow miss like that she'd even put this out in the world. And so I knew I had to read Hemlock Island by Kelly Armstrong because I love Kelly Armstrong and I love the way she writes and I love horror. So I thought it'd be a good mix. So this is a, this book is about Lainey and Lainey is struggling pretty badly right now. She sort of feels like life is not going in like any way that she intended for it to go. She is now the um, guardian of her teenage niece. Her sister passed away recently and during the pandemic, the husband that she married quickly in Vegas and loved very much um, asked for a divorce. And so now she's struggling to keep her niece, you know, doing well in school and to live in a home that so where she wouldn't have to leave for school. And she's struggling because she lost her husband and she just doesn't really know why. And she just feels like everything is a lot. But what's even a bigger struggle for her is that her um, wealthy ex-husband, well, the one thing that she wanted in the, in the divorce was her wedding gift from him because he gifted her an entire island, a private island for her wedding. And it's called Hemlock Island. It's out um, in Lake Superior. And they built this gorgeous vacation home on Hemlock Island that she just loved. She's a mystery. She's a teacher and she's a mystery writer as well and has just published her first book. And so she wrote a lot of that book there at the, at the vacation home on Hemlock Island. And so she just has fond memories there and she just feels very connected with the land and with, you know, with this house, but in order to maintain the rest of her life and in order to be able to keep the house, she has to rent it out to other people as an Airbnb. And this is very hard for her. She hates how the renters are so cavalier with her things. She just hates their disregard for, you know, things on the island. And she just hates having to share her private space with strangers. But something's going on on Hemlock Island. There were some little things at first, like animal bones being left around kind of deliberately, these weird wind chimes left out by one renter she found a hex circle and the last of her renters left early because they were so furious they went into the guest room for something and found in the closet blood and like gouges on the inside of the door like someone was trying to claw their way out of the closet so Lainey knows that she has to go to the island to kind of see what the heck is going on. And so she and her niece go over early in the morning. They're just going to take the boat, go over, check everything out, and be back by evening. Well, we all know how that works out. So she gets to where the boat is waiting, 
And guess who's there but her ex-husband, Kit, and his sister, Jayla, who used to be one of her most wonderful best friends in all the world, but now is very estranged from her and they no longer speak. And she's just like, oh, awesome. This is great. And so they all end up going to the island, which, you know, Lainey's not a huge fan of. And also to come to the island with them is another former friend named Sadie and her brother, who is um, a police detective and a bit of a douche canoe, if I'm being totally honest. And Lainey's like getting all stressed out. She's like, I just wanted to go and like check things out over here. I, you know, I, I'm not like wanting all these people and all this chaos and stress. But when they get to the island, things really are not that great. You know, think something just feels off. Lainey keeps thinking she's seeing someone walking around out of the corner of her eye. And she keeps having these encounters with all of the different people who came to the island with her. But then things escalate even farther when she kind of, there's a fight with Sadie and she just up and leaves the island taking their boat. So they have no way off this island. And now there's like even creepier things happening. Like a hand coming out of the ground, followed later by a body. And things get creepier and creepier as the night and the next day go on. And it's just the, the the building eerie suspense is just incredible. And things take a very dark turn that I'm not going to get into. But suffice it to say that whatever is happening on the island, it soon becomes apparent that this is not like a person messing with them. There's some other supernatural force that is sort of controlling what is happening on this island. And the supernatural force is very angry at Lainey for reasons that she at first does not know. This book was well-written. Um, it was creepy. It was suspenseful. I liked all the interpersonal uh, relationships among the characters. Um, it was very gory, very kind of slasher film feeling at parts. Um, and, you know, ultimately I liked how it ended, but I would say if you're going to read this book, um, just be aware that it is not for the faint of heart, particularly for the the very gory, gory, gory scenes that are pretty frequently written throughout it. And I know I'm not doing a very good job of telling you what this book is about, but I feel like if I, I don't want to give anything away because the sort of shock value is pretty great if you don't really know what's going on. So I'd read this one with the lights on. Um, and it is Hemlock Island by Kelly Armstrong. Kelly Armstrong just writes so many things in so many different genres. Yes. She's just like, she's incredible for that. Sounds very, very creepy. It was. So the other two books I have chosen tonight or today, I guess, since we're in the afternoon again, um, are dark academia books. Ooh. And so I want to tell you about The Society for Soulless Girls by Laura Steven. 
This came out, I think, as an indie release last year and then was picked up by a bigger publisher this year. Um, this is set in England at a college of arts called Carvel. And certain things about Carvel reminded me a little bit of Oxford. I don't know if that was intentional or if that's just like me who you know doesn't know a ton about British universities other than Oxford. So 10 years before our story starts, four students were killed at Carvel in this kind of rundown, yuckety place known as the North Tower. And once this happened, Carvel was disgraced and it had to close. Now, somehow, um, you understand how as the book goes on, but when you first start it, you're kind of like, wait, how is this possible? So somehow... It's 10 years later, and Carvel is reopening. I don't know why, but it is. And Lottie, who is one of our main characters, is absolutely ecstatic to be going there. She has been fascinated by Carvel, and more specifically by the murders there, like pretty much since they happened 10 years ago. Her parents don't want her to go to school there. They think it's a very bad idea, but she doesn't care. Off she goes. When she gets there, she meets Alice, who is her roommate, and Alice is Lottie's opposite in every conceivable conceivable way. Lottie is like bubbly and friendly and just excited about everything, and Alice is very prickly, very cynical. Um, she has a very pessimistic view of the world, and they do not hit it off. Um, Alice has this kind of self-sabotaging way about her. So she's going to, you know, mess things up for herself before anybody else has the opportunity to do that. And that's sort of the attitude that she has with Lottie. So she is determined to push Lottie away before Lottie can decide that the two of them can't be friends. And sometimes this is a little annoying as a reader because, like, you know that there's a part of Alice that doesn't really want to do these things, but somehow she's like compelled to. Now, Lottie is investigating sort of secretly, covertly, at least she's trying to be secret and covert, but it doesn't really work out for her very well. And she's like making these trips to the North Tower and people are pretty upset about this because you're not supposed to be messing around over there. And then she starts sleepwalking. And then this book takes a really odd turn um, because when she wakes up, there is a ruby embedded in her throat. And this is just sort of like taken for granted. Um, nobody like seems to question this, which I found a little odd, but you know, okay. In the meantime, Alice is doing some research of her own, but not into the North Tower murders. Instead, she is investigating a soul-splitting ritual because she has always believed that she has this like alter ego and that this alter ego is full of rage and really would like to hurt people. And so she thinks that if she can find this ritual, this will sort of free her from this alter ego that she has. Now, I don't know about you, 
But to me, it does not seem like a good idea to go poking around in an old library and find an arcane like ritual book and then just decide to like do some of these rituals. But, you know, hey, this is what Alice does. And now this alter ego of hers has been set free. And so it is up to Lottie to reverse this ritual while she is trying to solve the mystery of the North Tower murders. This is dark and atmospheric. Um, I was hoping for something with kind of a gothic feel. And in the beginning, you do you do get that because Carvel is a very creepy, eerie place, um, especially the North Tower. And it has all kinds of like mythology built up around it. And, you know, you just never really know what actually happened and what has kind of like grown over time and, and rumors. But then it took a much different turn than I was expecting with the whole like Ruby appearing in someone's throat and the soul splitting ritual. Um, it is definitely an original story. I've never read anything quite like this. Um, I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I would say that if you're looking for something that will really creep you out and you love books set in like creepy sort of um, foreboding boarding schools, this will be a good pick for you. This is The Society for Soulless Girls by Laura Stephen. Jewels this embedded in your throat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly just, something I want. Uh, oh. And you can like see it. Like it's just right, like kind of above your collarbone, like right at the base of your throat. Like there it is. And everybody else can see it too. It's not just like a, like a secret. Right. Like... No, okay. no. If people look close enough, um, they, they could see it. So my next book this afternoon is Hidden Pictures by Jason Rakulak. And so our main character's name is Mallory Quinn, and she's 21. She's had a really rough life so far, and she's just come out of um, rehab. She's been clean for 18 months, and her sponsor helps her find the summer job. Um, she's going to be a nanny um, for a five-year-old boy named Teddy. And so Teddy's mom and dad are Carolyn and Ted Maxwell. And they have, they're both scientists, so, and atheists, and they have some rules that Mallory must follow. So she's not allowed to fool around, so she'll have boys over. And she's not allowed to teach Teddy anything that's like not scientific based. So Mallory is okay with this. She's trying to get her life back on track. Um, she's really excited to have her own little cottage. They, she gets the guest cottage. And she's also excited that she'll have this new area to run. She loves like that was um, before she got into drugs. Um, she was supposed to go to Penn State. Um, she had a scholarship to be a runner. So she's very much into running. So she's doing this. And 
the whole like setting of this guest cottage is kind of creepy. It's in like the back of the property amongst a whole bunch of trees and it's all like dark and gloomy, but she loves it because it's her own space. Well, one night when she's trying to fall asleep, she hears some scratching outside of the cottage. And she also, like, she's, whenever she's, like, walking around, like, she feels like somebody's watching her. So there's always this sense of, like, somebody's watching and, like, somebody's out to get you. So she is, like, not, she's kind of creeped out by this. And so she meets the neighbor, and the neighbor asks her, like, was surprised that she's been given this guest cottage because the guest cottage has a history um, a woman was killed long ago in the cottage and a lot, like pretty much residents since then have just used it as like a shed, but the Maxwells have decided that it's going to be their nanny's home. So this kind of creeps Mallory out. And like to add on to this, Teddy has a special friend named Anya that she t- he talks to in his room behind doors and like you know you can't see his friend like this it's imaginary friend and he loves to like one thing that teddy loves to do is he loves to draw and he's really good at it he's always has like a pencil and paper with him and so as mallory is watching it's like seeing his drawings he's noticing she's noticing that his drawings are no longer like kids drawings but he's starting to draw pictures of a woman being dragged and buried in a hole and like as time goes on his drawings are getting more and more intricate as if like as somebody else is doing it like an adult well the neighbor is um has a bit of like the sight and she tells mallory that she thinks maybe somebody is possessing teddy and that they're trying, maybe it's the person that got killed at the cottage and that she wants people, like, somebody to know the story of her life. So this is not, like, this totally creeping Mallory out. She tells um, Carolyn and Ted, the parents, um, what she thinks is happening. And the parents, like, are think she's kind of losing it. Um, they actually get her to run a drug test to make sure that she's not on something. And they don't believe her because they're very much into science. So Mallory needs to figure out like how to keep Teddy safe and how to keep herself safe. And also wants to know like what, like what's going on because things are starting to get a little bit odd and things are even getting a little bit weird with the parents. And that, my friend, is all I can tell you. This is Hidden Pictures, and it's by Jason Rakulak. And it was so good. Like, it was very, very, very creepy. Um, Like, the supernatural aspects of things were not, like, out of this world. Like, it wasn't over the top. Like, things got a little bit weird at times, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't too much that it bothered me. It kind of fit in there and you understand how things kind of fit together. And like the twist um, near the end is just like, I didn't even see that coming. So I'm pretty, I was, it was really good. I like this. 
that is a house that I would not want to live in. No. No. The next book I'm going to talk about is a book that I don't think I've ever mentioned in this podcast. And it's a completely different type of book from what this author is known for. I honestly can't believe I haven't talked about it, but man, is it one of the creepiest books I have ever read in my life. I highly, highly recommend, even if this is this author's usual genre of books is not your cup of tea, you have to try this one. I promise it will not disappoint. This is Verity by Colleen Hoover. You heard it. Colleen Hoover wrote a creepy book, at least to me. And this book is about Lowen Ashley, who's a struggling writer on the brink of financial ruin, when she accepts the offer of a lifetime. Jeremy Crawford, who is the husband of best-selling author Verity Crawford, has hired Lowen to complete her remaining books in a successful series because his wife is injured and she cannot finish her own work. And, well, Lowen arrives at the Crawford home where there are a lot of mysteries and a lot of kind of unexplained things don't you love books that start in kind of like an old dilapidated house with lots of stuff that no one knows about hidden in that only if walls could talk right and well when Lauren arrives she's ready to sort through years of Verity's notes outlines and hoping to find enough material to get her started as her ghostwriter except what she does find is something she doesn't expect to uncover, which is a manuscript. But not only is this any manuscript, this is an autobiography read or written by Verity. And it seems to be an unfinished biography that Verity never intended anybody to read. And this is page after page after page of bone-chilling admissions. And let me tell you, they are bone-chilling. And it includes Verity's recollection of what really happened the day her daughter died. Lowen, of course, decides to keep the manuscript that is tormenting her hidden from Jeremy. Knowing its contents would probably devastate the already grieving man. But as her feelings for Jeremy begin to intensify, she recognizes all the ways she could benefit from sharing this manuscript with him. And sharing his wife's words with him. Because uh, no matter how devoted Jeremy is to his wife, a truth this horrifying would make him probably not love her anymore. Mm. So does Lowen share the script with Jeremy? What does the script say that is so terrifying? And I'm going to tell y'all, it is terrifying. Well, in order to find out, you must read Verity by Colleen Hoover. And I'll, I'll tell you, I read this book at night and I stayed up all night. And I think I jumped a lot the whole day. It definitely gave me book hangover. It had all the elements. And I do like Colleen Hoover, Hoover's uh, work in general. I like her romance novels. I like everything she's written that I've read. I really liked. But this is completely different from her usual and oh my gosh if i told you anything else about this book i would be com i would be spoiling it immensely which i will not do but i have never had a book play with my mind the way this one did so pick it up folks verity by colleen hoover
Stacy, I am yeah. very excited <laughs> for what will come next. I'm just saying. Well, with this foreshadowing, I must begin. I must preface my final book by saying this following thing. I was wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I am a terrible, unkind person who usually does not have the ability to see beyond what I love in my genres. And I'm not willing very often to admit when I am wrong. But friends of Book Bistro, I have been wrong. And I am here with a fork and a knife and a lovely cloth serviette to eat up a big serving of crow. Because friends of Book Bistro, I, for the last, let's see, this podcast is what, five years old now? Five years old. And every time I talk like very fleetingly about maybe a pick that I have chosen or whatever, I always have to preface with, well, I don't like young adult literature, but so I never thought I liked young adult literature, you see, because I cannot often really understand the motivations of these young characters. They're in a different life space than me. But I have discovered recently that had I been more open-minded, I could have read this whole subgenre of young adult that is like dark fantasy amazingness. So I am here to tell you all that I am going to eat my crow and I'm going to enjoy every bite because my final book today is Yay! another young adult novel that was so freaking amazing. I cannot begin to tell you. And because of that novel, I went out and bought three more in the same vein by different authors. <laughs> and I'm binging them like it's my last day on earth. So Shannon and Natalia and Brooke and everyone else on Book Bistro who reads young adult, I'm sorry. And I will be better. <clears throat> We still love you. Yeah, we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> so let me now, my friends, tell you about this amazing book that I loved so much. And that is Belladonna by Adeline Grace. This book is about Signa Farrow. She is 19 years old. She has been an orphan since she was like two months old. Um, her entire household basically dropped dead of a poisoning. And she's been raised by a string of guardians who, with one rare exception, are all in it for the extreme wealth that she will gain on her 20th birthday and don't actually care much about Signa herself or her well-being. And so Signa has lived a very solitary life without friends and without a lot of love or human connection with this string of ever grosser guardians. But something seems to happen around Signa Farrow that she cannot explain. And that is that this thing is that she doesn't seem able to die. But at times where literal death is near, death, the one that ferries souls to the afterlife, appears. And she can see death and converse with death. And my God, does she hate death with the with a passion of a thousand fiery suns because she blames death 
for all of the sort of unsettled feelings about her and the distrust of her by others, because why, why around Signa Farrow, why do so many of her guardians die? She's unlucky and should be avoided. And that has to be death's fault. Well, now she has one more family. She finds out when her horrible, terrible great aunt passes away suddenly. She finds out that there is one more family who will take her in until her 20th birthday. And that is the Hawthorne family. And they live at this mansion called Thorn Grove. And she's swept away from her depressing life of black bombazine gowns and not enough to eat into this glittering mansion that is called Thorngrove. But things at Thorngrove, the facade of Thorngrove is of glittering opulence, but inside is a family who's suffering through tragedy. For you see, Elias Hawthorne's wife, Lillian, has just passed away recently from an undefined, not understood disease that took her in a matter of months. And Elijah, the patriarch of the family, is feeling pretty desperate because now the same disease seems to be coming for his daughter, Blythe, who is about Cygna's age. Well, and there's something else I should tell you about Cygna Farrow that I probably should have told you earlier. She can see dead people. It's like a theme for my books today. A lot of people seeing dead people. But, you know, it's entertaining to me because I do love ghost stories. So after arriving at the mansion, Cygna is just trying her best to fit in. She's trying to elude death, whoever who's just hovering all over the place. She's trying to get to know her cousin Percy and um, his prickly younger sister Blythe. And, you know, trying to figure out what Elijah's deal is, the patriarch of the family. And as she's sort of like trying to get herself all adjusted, she keeps seeing glimpses of a spirit that she feels pretty strongly is probably Lillian. And finally, Lillian is able to manifest herself to Cigna and is able to communicate to Cigna that not only, not only was this illness, not truly an illness, but her death was no accident. And Blythe is headed for the same fate. And she's begging with all she has for Cigna to be able to figure out how to save Blythe from Lillian's fate. His older son, Percy, is doing his best to try to like clean up the family reputation and to um, you know, he really wants to run the family business. But all Elijah wants to do is lose himself in debauched parties where he can forget about his sadness over the death of his wife. All, all Signa has wanted for her whole life is to fit in. And she thinks the way that she's going to do this is by being a perfect lady in society and by understanding all of the appropriate etiquette so that she can launch herself and, you know, she can find acceptance from a husband and she can have a life where she is not alone. And so as she's settling into life with the Hawthorns, she's undergoing training by the governess to be ready to come out in the season because it's somewhere in the 1850s. This is like England, but 
it's sort of an alternate history um, with a lot of elements that feel very Victorian and fabulous. And so she's, you know, getting ready to be launched into society with her, you know, to have her debut while her cousin Blythe is sort of withering away. And, you know, there's so much sadness. And so this book is sort of like this amazing, eerie, gothic kind of mystery on one hand about like what is causing this disease, but also it's like this glittering, opulent, you know, round of like parties and kind of balls and coming out and, you know, doing all the like social, like the social niceties that Cygna's always thought she wanted. Well, along with all of this happening, because of Blythe's illness, death is ever hovering around the mansion. And even though Cygna hates him with the passion of a thousand fiery suns, she realizes that he may be able to help her solve this mystery and to save Blythe's life. That's all I'm going to tell you about this book because I don't want to spoil a cotton picking thing because let me tell you, it's worth the ride. It's eerie. It's atmospheric. It's Gothic. The ghosts are mildly creepy. Um, this book was more eerie than creepy to me, but it was just so lovely. I had to include it. Um, the second book, Foxglove, is also available, but the third book will not be out until next year. So um, I've been kind of crying about that all day. But this book is lovely. And what I love most about it is sort of Cygna's character development, kind of figuring out, does she want to be, does she want to just meet the expectations of society or does she want to become a woman that is strong and confident without bowing to you know, all of the things that she thinks she needs to be. And death is really sexy. I never thought I'd say that, but it's true. So I encourage you, if you like gothic and eerie and ghosts and sort of like social season type stuff and Victorian feeling, all of the things, you need to pick up Belladonna by Adeline Grace. Belladonna, book one. This is on to, my TBR pile. Mine too. I've meant to read that for a while now. All right. So my last book is one that I talked about for October Picks. And this is The Forest Demands Its Due by Kasoko Jackson. When I talked about this um, last month, I had said that I hoped it came out in time for the Creepy Books episode, and it did. And so here we go. So as I said earlier, this is another dark academia book. It is set at Regents Academy, which is a school in this kind of dark and dreary forest in Vermont. And Regents has a long history, but the forest itself has an even longer and darker history. Our main character is a 17-year-old boy named Douglas. He and his mom have come to Regents looking for a new start. Douglas has had some trouble in his like previous school. His mom is a school nurse, and Regents is sort of Douglas's last chance. Like, if he doesn't do well here, nobody really knows like what's going to happen to him. So he's determined to get there and do everything he can to make this year a success. But he also knows that he doesn't want to be a part of sort of the, the power struggle that seems to be going on at Regents. Because everyone who goes here, aside from Douglas, 
is like the best and the brightest. They've not had any trouble. They come from these elite families. We know how like New England prep schools in books are, right? Like, you know, you go here and you're going to become something. And Douglas, he's not really sure who or what he wants to become, right? He just wants to graduate. He wants to get his life back on track. And for him, like, that's enough. But once he gets there, he realizes that something is really wrong at Regents because a student dies in a very, like, traumatic way. But the next day, nobody remembers that this boy ever existed except Douglas. And he doesn't understand this. Like he tries to ask people like what happened and why isn't anybody, you know, making reference to this other boy. And everybody's just like, what are you talking about? Like we, nobody died. Like you're, you know, obviously there's something wrong with you. So he goes out into the forest and you're not supposed to go out into the forest. Like the forest, because it has this history around it, Everyone has kind of grown up to fear the forest, except Douglas, because he's come from out of town. So he doesn't really have the same like fear of the forest that everyone else does. And when he goes there, he finds Everett. There's something about um, men named Everett in my books, I guess, because the Ashley Winstead also had Everett. But he meets Everett Everly, who is the groundskeeper's son at Regents. And Everett warns him out of the forest, but also sort of intimates that he knows something about the boy who died. Like he knows how that happened and why no one remembers him. And so slowly Everett and Douglas kind of team up to get to the bottom of whatever's going on at Regents and to break a centuries old curse that has been placed not only on Regents and the forest, but on the entire town of Winslow, Vermont, where Regents is located. This is definitely a dark, creepy, eerie book. Um, the identity of like the, the supernatural thing in the forest was really alarming to me. Um, this is not my sort of usual reading material. And what I will say is that Kosoko Jackson is such a skilled writer that this is a book um, that even though I don't think it was the perfect book for me, is definitely the perfect book for someone who likes more of the like ghostly, you know, creatures coming up from the forest with like undergrowth growing out of them and um there's just something about that that doesn't work for me personally but the story itself is super compelling and Douglas is a phenomenal main character if you're looking for some young adult horror that has a queer protagonist and kind of blends like fact and fiction in a way that makes everything feel completely believable, even though you have this little part of your mind that says like, you know, obviously these things can't happen in real life, then Kosoko Jackson is definitely someone that you want to check out. And I would recommend you pick this one up. It is The Forest Demands Its Due by Kosoko Jackson. I definitely want to read this. So my last book this afternoon is Black Sheep 
by Rachel Harrison. So everyone's family is strange. They all have their oddities. But Vesper's family is something else. Um, Vesper grew up in a cult. And it's not just any, like, run-of-the-mill um, cult. It's a Satanist cult. So when she was 18 years old, um, she took off and because she wanted nothing to do with this cult. And all the beliefs just were too much for her, so she was, she was out of there. So she took off. And now she's like mid twenties and she's working at a restaurant and she is like, it's not a great job, but she's able to be out on her own and she's able to be away from her family and she's kind of creating a life of her own and she's happy. Um, but something happens at the restaurant. Um, whenever Vesper gets angry, things happen. So these customers that he had at the restaurant were being like kind of rude boys and something happened and she gets wrongfully fired. So she's walking home and she's kind of upset about this. She doesn't know what she's going to do, but she also knows that she's kind of like, ah, whatever. It wasn't like the best job anyway. So she's trying to figure that out. She's walking home. And then when she gets home, she finds a red envelope on her doormat. And she knows exactly, like, from this, the moment she sees it, she knows that it's from her family. So she goes inside. She locks up because she's creeped right out because she didn't think her family knew where she was. And so she opens up the envelope, and it's a wedding invitation. And she's not really sure, like, what, what's going on. She's like, um, are they? Because one of the rules is, like, when you leave the family, you're out. Like, you are nobody anymore, and nobody's going to care. So she's really confused by this um, invitation. And so she's kind of wondering, like, did they, are they going to forgive me? Will they still welcome me back? Like, what's going on? So the invitation is for her cousin's wedding. Um, and she is marrying Vesper's high school love. Um, his name was Brody. And so she's really upset about this because she loved Brody. And she had always hoped that at some point he'd leave the family and come and, like, live with her outside um, in normal, the normal world. So... Obviously, it's not going to happen. So she's really upset, but she decides, like, that she's going to go. Something tells her deep down inside that she needs to go to this wedding. So she goes, um, and the family welcomes her in. They're all, like, excited to see her. Um, her mom is very much an ice queen. Um, her mom's name is Constance, and she is an indie horror actress. And one thing I'll tell you about where they live. So they live in this big, like, mansion, how, um, farm, how, like, kind of farm property or, like, property in, like, the middle of nowhere. And the house is full of Constance's memorabilia from her 
horror movies. So you can only imagine like how creepy that would be. Like there's statues of some of like the villains. There's like masks. There's like everything you can think of. It's like all over the place. It's like a big walk-in closet. And she has like some racks and racks of like clothes that she wore to these different um in these different movies um constance as i said is very like she's very um cold she's never been the greatest mom um her most supportive sorry vesper's most supportive family member was her aunt grace and so she's really excited to see grace and she's her uncle's excited to see her as well everyone's welcoming her in and she's like oh okay like she's kind of settling in a bit um and then things start happening and secrets of her family start coming out that get her to the point where vesper needs to decide is she gonna run again or is it time to kind of dismantle the family so this my friends is black sheep and it's by rachel harrison and i could have told you could have told you guys more but i i'm worried about um spoiling anything rachel harrison is excellent um yes her debut novel it really, really freaked me out kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and there's a really gross scene in it that I will never, ever, ever forget. <laughs> I, there are several really gross scenes in that book that I will never, ever, ever forget. So, of course, we cannot have, in my opinion, a creepy episode without mentioning who, for me, has been the master of horrors, the papa, the absolutely horrifying, mind-blowing in the scariest and most delectable way since 1979, who is known for books like hmm, The Shining, Salem's Lot, Carrie, Christine, Pet Cemetery, oh my gosh, Cujo, and I have to mention that his movie adaptation on Netflix, I think, it's still there, for 1922 which is a short story of all things is so creepy that i still get nightmares and i saw it two years ago <laughs> if you don't know who i'm talking about yet i will tell you it is stephen king mind you i didn't mention all these books the saint salem's lot the shining gary christine pet cemetery cujo it the dark tower and so many others i can only hope that i will get through his backlist one day in my lifetime. But I wanted to talk about one of the more recent books by him that I have read because I think it's been so interesting to me to see how his writing process has changed and how he still manages to be equally terrifying, but writes in a very different way now than he did then. So the book I'm going to talk about today is The Institute by Stephen King, which starts out quite horrifying in a quiet suburban street of minneapolis where a little boy or young boy luke ellis lives with his parents and in less than two minutes intruders come into his home murder his parents put luke in an suv and take him somewhere and this place is called the institute 
And in this place, when Luke Ellis wakes up, he finds that he's in a room just like his at home that has no windows and a locked door. And now behind those doors, there are other children that he meets that were recruited the same way. Uh, amongst them are Kalicia, Nick, George, Iris, and a 10-year-old kid, Avery Dixon. And they are all in a place in the Institute called Front Half. And eventually, apparently, the goal is to graduate to back half, except no one knows what happens once you get to back half. And Kalisha, for one, suspects that it's kind of like the Roach Motel when you get into back, you know, you get in through the front and you never come out. Or, you know, you check in and you never check out. And, well, this institution is very sinister. The director, Mrs. 6B, and her staff are very dedicated to ruthlessly extracting apparently extraordinary abilities that these kids have among them telepathy telekinesis and other forces and well in this place there are no scruples if you behave you get a token to get something from vending machines if you misbehave the punishment is brutal and unmerciful and well as more and more victims disappear to back half, Luke becomes more and more desperate to get out and get help. But no one has ever, ever escaped from the Institute. This book is everything we are used to from a Stephen King novel. It is long, it is meaty, it is terrifying, and it will keep you on your toes until the very end. So if you, like me, like Stephen King and you haven't picked this one up please do and if you've never read stephen king which and because you know he has such an enormous collection of books and you don't know where to start or you're kind of intimidated by the amount like i was when i first started reading him this is fine this book is long but not as long as some of his others and not as short as some of his other ones and you're gonna be so enthralled and so scared buy this book that you're not going to want to put it down honestly i would suggest reading it during the day maybe outside in the sun because let me tell you after i read this book every noise i heard in my house woke me up so this is the institute by stephen king i hope you enjoy it as much as i did all right so that brings us to the end of this year's creepy books episode thank you so much to stacy brooke and natalia for joining me today as always thanks goes out to christine for all of her fantastic editing and we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.